Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am so honored by your decision to join us today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. They fall into one of four different categories. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches. We have the folks who help others build their businesses. And on the other side of the coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers who love to run your own businesses and keep your own hands on the marketing levers. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how our experts can help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, be sure to check us out on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Make sure to subscribe. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you. And new content is added every single week. For today, I am extremely honored to have with us none other than Perry Marshall. And for those of you who don't know who Perry Marshall is, though I think that, think that applies to about maybe one or two people left on the planet, Perry Marshall has launched two revolutions in sales and marketing. In pay-per-click advertising, he pioneered many of today's best practices and, in fact, wrote the world's best-selling book on Internet advertising known as The Ultimate Guide to Google AdWords. He's also driven the 80-20 principle deeper than any other author, being the first to articulate 80-20 as a fractal law of nature. When we have Perry come on the line here in just a second, one of the things we're going to get into is what we mean by the fractal law of nature. 80-20 is the central lever for nearly every profitable strategy in sales, marketing, and business. In his book, 80-20 Sales and Marketing is required reading in many growing companies. Works also include the bestseller, The Ultimate Guide to Facebook Advertising, and Industrial Ethernet. Perry has been referenced in dozens of influential business books by authors like the late J. Conrad Levinson, Mark Joyner, Joel Kahn, Mari Smith, and John Jansch. He's shared the stage with Barbara Corcoran, Brian Tracy, and Les Brown, having consulted in over 300 industries. Perry Marshall is one of the world's most expensive and sought-after marketing consultants. Direct marketing maverick Dan Kennedy says, if you don't know who Perry Marshall is, unforgivable. Perry's an honest man in a field rife with charlatans. Perry has a degree in electrical engineering and lives in Chicago. Now, we are extremely honored to have Perry with us today, and I know that Perry only has about 30 minutes to spend with us, so we'd like to get right into that and bring Perry on. Perry, welcome to the Business Creators Radio Show. So glad to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm, it's great to be here. Um, you know, you've had so many prestigious people on your show, so it's an honor to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I have been following you for a number of years. I'm a regular visitor to your blog. I've seen some of your presentations, and I've always, I guess, I have to admit, I've been a little bit in awe here. So what I'd like to do, and I know our audience loves to hear stories about our guests because we love to get to know people, is uh, tell us a little bit about the journey that brought you to where you are today. I know there's some certain things we can cover, like some of the influences, um, how you got started, what some of the early days of your career were like. We like to get to know people a little bit on a personal level. So if you could share some of that, I would be honored. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, somebody was asking me yesterday, and it, it kind of clicked in my head that, 
you know, my my sell, my career in marketing and sales started when I was 21, and I signed up to be an Amway distributor. And I was, and then I did not only that, but really a whole variety of sales, um, you know, activities and, and and efforts and stuff. And none of them were particularly successful until. Um, literally six years later um, was the first time I got a nice, decent commission check at my sales job. And everything in between was like every way in the world that something could almost work but not quite. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I mean, and like seriously painful. Like, you know, in honestly when when your life goes that way um it starts to become it starts to feel like a giant ball and chain around your ankles uh in the form of like you know how much accumulated failure can i you know can i live with you know and I mean, I was I was really ashamed at my lack of progress and how much I struggled and I, you know how little I had to show for it and throwing good money after bad mm-hmm. and you know so you know, when I wrote the eighty twenty book it was really like well here's what I wish I had known at the very beginning when I started this is what I would tell anybody that's in that kind of a situation. And, you know, and I hope people get the idea that you can go through long periods of drought and still eventually um, get some really gratifying victories in your life. So uh, it doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, uh, it's still true. Right. So, yeah. Right, certainly. Now, uh, there's a question we ask all of our uh, all of our guests here in the Business Creators Radio Show, and I know we're going to be talking about the eighty twenty rule and the eighty twenty rule in sales and marketing today. So, uh, a lot of our listeners tell me they have everything that they have to implement anything that any of our guest experts share with them, except for time and money. Now, this is a question we ask every expert who appears on our show, and what I like about it is not only the variety of different answers, but also the variety of ways the question is interpreted. So how do time and money play a role uh, when it comes to the 80-20 role? Well, so 80-20 uh, absolutely applies to both. So right. 80-20 was discovered when an Italian guy figured out that no matter what country he looked at, that 20% of the people had 80% of the money. Uh, and furthermore, um, the, the top 20% of the top 20% own 80% of the 80%. And you can actually just keep going and keep going until you get to the last person. And in fact, 80-20 is stunningly accurate. So it, it describes the whole entire population of the world, all 7 billion people, and it also describes the top 10 people of the Forbes 400. Okay? So it's, it's, it literally applies uh, on every scale. Now, as far as time goes, 80-20 absolutely applies for time because 20% of your time produces 
of what you're trying to achieve in your life. And that's true for everybody from, you know, a wino on the street corner mm-hmm. to, you know, the richest guy in the Forbes 400, um, that we all have these hyper-productive little slices of our life and of our time, and most people are blissfully unaware. So even a $15 an hour, you know, receptionist, um, you know, some part of her day is worth $1,000 an hour, even if it's only for a minute. But there is a minute in her day um, that's worth $1,000 an hour. It might might even be worth $10,000 an hour. It could be one word, one phone call, one thing either handled correctly or not handled correctly. So 80-20 applies to both of those things in spades. That's a very interesting concept. Now, what would you have to say about how we help to identify what that most valuable moment of our day is? Because, heck, if I could spend an hour and make $1,000, you know I'll do it. Well, you know, I've got a I've got a chapter in in the book 8020 Sales and Marketing and it says, do you want to make $10 an hour or 100 or 1000 or $10,000 an hour? And it it starts with recognizing it. It starts with recognizing the huge inequality. So, there's a little chart that I have there and it's like, okay, so here's a list of $10 an hour jobs. Um, emptying the trash, um, uh, running an errand and going to Office Depot and buying some supplies or, um, or you know, uh, calling into your voicemail and writing down the messages or, you, you know, like these kinds of things, right? right. And then there's $100 an hour things. And those, that's usually stuff like servicing a customer, answering a question, um for a typical, you know, worker who's, you know, maybe maybe they write software or maybe they do accounting or, or something like that, it's when they're actually doing their job and they're not distracted and they're being productive. Okay, then there's $1,000 an hour work. And that is usually like pivotal, pivotal things that change the direction of the business. So it's when, so like, any office that generates sales leads, it could be a dentist, it could be a chiropractor, it could be a lawyer. Um, when a potential new customer is calling in on the phone, that's thousand dollar, that's thousand dollar an hour time right there. When the receptionist puts the person on hold for two minutes, just picture your thousand dollars an hour going away. And, and frankly, it could be $10,000 an hour. That could be a $5,000 customer who leaves after 60 seconds because they got put on hold, right? So do, the, do your profit analysis on that. You know, it's huge, right? And so, frankly, the issue isn't whether the person is or isn't filing their nails or checking Facebook or something like that. The question is, in the critical moment, which can happen in an instant, are they engaged? Do they know what they're doing? Um, is the phone even being answered at all or not? You know, any kind of negotiation. Then you have $10,000 an hour things, and lots of negotiations are $10,000 an hour activities. 
as well as things, you know, um, really important strategic changes in your business. You know, you can make one decision and, um, you know, and move the company in a different direction, decide to do a new product line, decide to uh, improve your unique selling proposition, and, and that's $10,000 an hour. So we all, all of us are doing uh, usually a bunch of 10 and then some 100 and a little bit of 1,000 and a tiny little bit of 10,000. And all you have to do is start becoming aware of it, and, and it totally shifts. Interesting. So most, Go ahead. most people are accustomed to thinking in terms of going from $15 an hour to 20 to 25 or like getting a $2 an hour raise. Uh, but the 80-20 entrepreneur thinks in terms of these exponential jumps of t- times 10. Right, right. So you mentioned Facebook a moment ago. Where does social media fit into all this? Because we hear that social media is either the most lucrative way to grow your business or the or the biggest time waster. So where does it fit? So it depends on who you are. And we we made a online free tool. You don't even have to enter your email address. Um, you can go to isfb4me.com. Right. And you can score yourself and answer 10 questions in about 60 seconds. And it'll give you a score from 1 to 10 on how Facebook compatible your business is, uh, specifically in terms of advertising. Now, if it's Facebook compatible for advertising, it's probably also compatible more generally with, you know, social media activity. But there, there are some businesses that are very social media um, oriented and those, you know, entertainment, politics, um, you know, religious kind of stuff, all of that is very, very Facebook friendly. On the other hand, you know, like no, nobody's going to go to Facebook to buy automotive brake pads or, right. you know, or, or, you know, accounting software or something like that I mean, not probably, um, and and so so social media is good for certain kinds of things, um, and and so we made that we made that quiz so the wrong people wouldn't buy our Facebook advertising book. <laughs> so so that yeah, that's my answer uh, for for that one. It's not a it's not a black and white answer for everybody. Sure, sure. Um, inside the eighty twenty sales and marketing book, uh, you mentioned that 80-20 is fractal, and that impacts sales and marketing. Well, what do you mean by fractal, and how does that impact sales and marketing? You know, I don't think most people know the word fractal, but it's a word right. that you, that people should know. Fractal means that it behaves the same way in, under the microscope as, it, as, it, as in the telescope. Okay, what do I mean by that? So, Let's say it's raining outside and you walk out the door and you look down and there's a little stream running from the gutter over into the street and you, you can see that water meandering its way down, down your driveway. Well, you know, you could take a picture of that little stream and you could take a picture of like the Mississippi River somewhere and if, if, if somebody like picked the right part of the picture uh, and put them side by side, you wouldn't be able to tell which was which. 
the tiny little stream running out of your gutter down to your street might look identical to the Mississippi River, even though the Mississippi River is a million times bigger. Sure. Okay? Like, water flows the way it flows, and it doesn't matter whether it's a little or a lot. Okay, well, there's a whole field of science that studies these sorts of things, and it's called chaos theory. And fractal, fractal means fractional dimensional, and basically it's the idea that in nature there are no straight lines, but instead they're, you know, they're the edges of things. Um, you know, so like you can look the edge of Florida or the edge of Miami or the edge of a little beach in Miami and you'll see the same pattern over and over over again. Or you look at a, a tree and the branching pattern is the same whether you look at the whole tree or you look with a microscope at the leaves. That's fractal. Now, 80-20 is fractal. So, uh, in fact, I kind of already referred to it. So, 20% of the people in the world make 20%, 80 percent of the money in the world, right? And, and it's true of the whole seven billion people. But I can I can I can focus down just to the richest 400 people in the world, and 20% of them own 80% of the wealth that's in the Forbes 400. Or you could go. You could go to a pub tonight and 20% of the people in the room own 80% of the wealth in the room. So it's fractal. The pattern repeats over and over and over again. So 80-20 is true of big companies and small companies. It's true of revenue um, on a spreadsheet. It's true of profits on a spreadsheet. It's true of um, product defects and returns. It's true of customer complaints. It's true of traffic patterns on the showroom floor of where people walk and where they don't. It's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. 20% of the traffic in your town runs on 80% of the roads and 80% of the traffic runs on 20% of the roads. Once you recognize this, you will see so many opportunities to improve a business. I just got an email this morning from a guy in Ireland who's one of my members, and he sent me a spreadsheet, and it said, hey, you know, I got this client, and I went into this business, and I found I used 80-20. I found this giant chunk of, of, of loss that, the, you know, these people are f- flushing money down the toilet and we're fixing it. It's like this invisible profit detector. And I have so many customers and clients who are now doing this, and they're going all over the place, and, and 80-20 is their secret weapon. And they just they recognize a pattern that most people are oblivious to, and boom, it's profit. See, what you're doing here is you're introducing us to a completely different way of thinking using the 80-20 rule. Uh, what I'd like to do here is shift gears a little bit. And see, in my world, what we talk about all the time is testing. Clients come to me all the time. They want to know if a certain conversion funnel is going to work or if a certain promotion for a launch is going to work. And you know, we'll have our models and we'll have our ideas and we'll have our proven methods. And then somebody wants to throw a, a wrench 
in the whole thing. And I say, well, you know what? I don't really know what's going to work best. We have to test this. And I am a big believer in testing. And I know you talk about testing as well. So if you could Amen. share, yeah, exactly. So if you could share a little bit about testing and how it can impact these results, the same way as looking at 80-20 as a fractal function, if you could share some of that with us, I think our listeners would really love it. Yes. Okay. So, so I really discovered this in its full richness when I started playing with Google ads. Yes. Um, right. And, and Google was the first place where you could really easily just test lots of different stuff and you didn't have to get duct tape and bailing wire and all this other <laughs> stuff to do it. Right. And so we started experimenting with it now. And so, and so when you're doing any kind of um, online advertising medium, you need to test your ads. Now, so, if you are properly testing ads, what you'll find is that 20% of the ads you test get 80% of the results. Now, this won't be true if you're testing wrong, but it will be true if you're testing right, and here's what I mean by that. When In, in my Google books, I, I show how, you know, uh, one comma could change your response by 10%. Yes. Or you change one word and you, and it goes up or down by like 30%. Very common. And it's really, I mean, am I not correct? Like, it is really eye-opening when you're like, holy crap, I changed this one word and I get 50% more clicks, right? How about one letter? How about one letter? I, I saw a case study, this may have been yours, where somebody made a typo in a Google ad. And I can't remember if it was vacuum cleaners or whatever it was. But I'll just say vacuum cleaners. It's like, yeah. this vacuum gets your carpets clean versus uses vacuum to get your carpets clean. Because gets implies done for you. Easy. You get to enjoy right. life. Get your carpets clean means you have to stand up, plug the darn thing in, turn it on, <laughs> and pull it back and forth across your carpet a hundred times. Exactly. Exactly. And so you have these subtle things. Well, when I talk about proper testing, I'm actually not even necessarily talking about these little incremental changes, but I'm saying if if you brainstorm ten completely different ads that that say 10 completely different things and you test them against each other, the best ones will be literally 10 times better than the worst ones, right? Right. Um, in other words, the incremental changes will affect you by like 30 or 50%. The complete changes will affect you even more, okay? And so what that means is that is that the number of ads you test um, exponentially increases the value of your company and the profitability of what you do as you increase that number and you do more tests. And then you'll find this very small number of ads makes this disproportional am amount of, of success. So, for example, if you do it right, you, you know, you, so I've got this... Um, I've got this Google campaign that I've been doing stuff in for years and years, and it has it's had I don't know three million clicks or something, like maybe more I don't know something like that, mm -hmm. and um, and I've tested twenty eight hundred different ads in that campaign, and um, 
one of those ads has got 10% of all of the clicks that were ever gotten in the history of that. So like out of 3 million clicks, it's had 300,000 clicks. Okay, that one ad. Well, you know, it's the best ad out of 2,800. Now, if you did the math, I know some, I know some people are sitting there going, oh my word, 2,800 ads? Like, well, let's do a little math. You know, how long does it take you to write an ad? And, you know, all this kind of stuff, it absolutely paid for itself. You know, and if you're not the person in the company that's doing that, you can have somebody else in your company doing that, or you can hire a consultant to do it. But the point is, is somebody ought to be doing it, because otherwise you're leaving money on the table. And it's a basic optimization, but people don't understand it's exponentially powerful. It's not linear. If you double the effectiveness of your ads, you won't double your traffic. You'll actually 4X your traffic. And that's because there's all these other ads you're beating that you're getting the traffic they would have got. Right, right. I Now, you also, in the... Uh, in the book, 80-20 Sales and Marketing, you talk about the concept of the bleeding neck. What is that and why is that important? I know I know we have a very limited amount of time here, and it seems like I'm asking a lot of different questions, but I love the book myself, and I want to uh, make sure our listeners have a chance to get some real value out of our time here. So so there's a, there's a real sales lesson if you go to the emergency room. Okay, you go to the emergency room, and there's these people, you know, you walk in, and you've got a broken arm or something like that, and they, they they hand you a clipboard and they tell you to go sit over there and fill this out, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm in pain. They're like, go sit down and fill this thing out, right? Now, if you walk in and blood is squirting out of your aorta from your neck, then they will not make you fill the thing out and they will usher you right into, you know, one of the little cubicles and they'll get a doctor and they will start looking at you right away, Right. Right. And so what constitutes an emergency to you is not the same as what constitutes an emergency for an ER person, right? Right. And 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 so that that applies directly to uh to sales because my friend John Paul Mendoza came up with a brilliant list of five things that he calls the five power disqualifiers. And this is Really brilliant because it's the five things that are always true every time anybody sells anything. Okay? Every time anybody sells something, there's five things going on. Number one, somebody has a bleeding neck. Somebody needs something now. Okay, maybe they put it off for five years, but finally they showed up and they got their money in their hand and they want it from you and they want it now. Right? Right. Okay, number two, um, they have the money. If they don't have the money, they're not buying the stuff. True. I mean, I said I struggled for six years, right? Yes. Half of why I struggled for six years, I was such a nice guy. I believed that if people wanted my stuff bad enough, that somehow the money would magically show up even though they didn't have any no, they don't have any money. They're not buying your stuff. So, 
So instead of going through six hours of sales presentations and everything and then finding out they don't have the money, okay, grow a pair and ask them up front. <laughs> Do you have the budget for this? Do you have the money for this? Okay. Number three, do they buy into your unique selling proposition? Okay. Uh, I think, you know, what do, do they buy into your value proposition? Number four, do they have the ability to say yes? Or do they only have the ability to say no? Another big part of my six years of bologna sandwiches and ramen soup was I was talking to people who could say no, but they couldn't say yes. And this happens to lots of people in corporate sales, which is what I was doing. Right. I would go talk to some project engineer, and he could, he could keep me from getting to his boss, but he could not sign a purchase order. Okay, huge mistake. And then the fifth power disqualifier is, does it fit with their overall plans? Now, every one of those is an 80-20 like 80 you know the first one then the second one then the third one then the fourth one by the time you got all five you're down to like one percent of all these people right right so sell to the one percent accept it the thing about 80 20 okay i could show you the math i could show you the formulas and all this kind of stuff but people have to emotionally accept it and it is so counterintuitive not only that all of your education and schooling and everything has conditioned you to ignore it. You go to school and they want you to be, get an A in English and an A in math and an A in history and an A in gym and an A in this and an A in that. And the fact is, like, yeah, God bless us all to be well-rounded people and everything like that. But the fact is, you and I are going to be successful on 1% of what we know. Not 100%. It's, we're never going to be successful based on 100% of what we know. You are on this radio show because you're good at doing radio shows and you're good at getting people to be your guests and yes. your listeners like you. And frankly, it doesn't matter what you got in math. It doesn't matter what you got in English. Your English teacher could send you suicide notes listening <laughs> to your program because you're bad grammar. doesn't matter because your customer, your listeners like you, right? Yes. And all of us, we are going to make our livings, make our reputations, and make our life based on a tiny number of our skills, and the rest of them, frankly, just don't matter. And it's so liberating once you can accept it. You mean I don't have to be an anal perfectionist for the rest of my life? No. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're reading a page from my diary right there. I'm a recovering <laughs> perfectionist myself. And you know what, Perry? I gotta say something here. It's so funny that you said what you just said, because in secondary school, I was considered gifted because of my IQ, which means I was in all the advanced classes. I was on an advanced placement track. I had enough yeah. AP credits coming out of high school that I basically had a semester of college done before I even showed up at the door. Now, yeah. my skills were, English, social studies, history, uh, these types of things. Um, yeah. I muddled through chemistry. I had a very generous teacher who let me pass. As far as, <laughs> as, far, as as far as mathematics, um, I frequently got deficiency reports. I couldn't follow it. Um, I needed tutors, and that still didn't help. Um, mm. I do not have very many memories of people celebrating that I was knocking down 
college credits while still a junior in high school or that I was <laughs> in a gifted program, all I heard was maybe we need to take you out of this gifted program so you can spend more time on math without all these distractions. I have no intention of being mathematician. I uh, uh, my I can do basic addition and subtraction in my mind, which is basically all I've needed for entrepreneurship, really. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I, and I think that's a big downfall. And I think that's one of the reasons why people need to listen to you, and especially need to follow the eighty twenty rule when it comes to sales and marketing, because we focus way too much on the deals we lose, or the conversions we're not getting, or the the mountains we're trying to climb instead of finding the 1% that is so easy to convert when you focus on that 1%. Well, that's exactly the point of the book is that everybody's conditioned to look at the ones they didn't get. Right. Okay, you know, look, you know, so so in my business, you know, I bet I've had like, I don't know, 10 million people come to my website in the last 10 years or something. You realize that like something like 50% of my business comes from less than 50 of them? That's wow. fine. That's exactly how the world works. I have thousands of customers. I've sold like more than 100,000 bucks. But there's only a tiny percentage of what happens that really, really matters. So I can, I mean, I can, I can, you know, suck a pickle and I can, you know, grouse about the 9.9 million people that, you know, never gave me any money or whatever, but it's only the ones I got that matter. Right. Right. Because, because in the, in the end, uh, people, I remember during that time in my life, they would say, why do you spend so much time reading encyclopedias and, who cares about socioeconomic trends in Ghana right now? Uh, you got a deficiency in geometry. You need to freaking study. <laughs> but now, now, meanwhile, meanwhile, I've never needed trigonometry. I've never needed algebra. I've never needed geometry because my passions and my purpose don't go in that direction. There are mathematicians. There are scientists. There are accountants who, if they're good at math, that matches with their passion. I was never passionate about that. I was passionate about geometry political trends and history Mm -hmm. and reading Mm -hmm. and comprehension and civics that's what that's what i was passionate about so uh so again you know this really resonates with me and your message of how we need to look at the 80 20 and taking that even further and how we drill down to ultimately that one percent that's one of the things that i love about your message and you know and and i've read some of the stories you know from your blog in the past which you know for everybody listening you really should check out perrymarshall.com i stop by there regularly i've even commented on it a few times it's a Really, oh, that's great. really great piece, and you know, I, I appreciate everything you you do with us. Um, so, well, you if, know what? What if if you got a, um, another minute or two? Yes, I, I, um, uh, you know, we were talking about math, geometry, history, English, and you know, most of us are only going to really tune into you know a few of those subjects. You know, so that's like in, in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, you can narrow it down, and it's still true about how people sell. And so, and so um, there are some salespeople, and they earn their bread by being what I call hostage negotiators. You know, you just put them in a situation, and they will somehow talk their way out of it, right? And they'll close right. the sale, and, and when they leave, they don't even remember, frankly, what they said. 
You know, you just know they did it, right? And they were so in the moment. Then you got other people, they sit in their cave and they meticulously craft a sales letter or something like that for two months, right? And then and then they send the thing out their cave and then the responses come in and they sit there and they go, Oh, I got I got one. Right? You know, right. and then you got other people, they you know, they tell you the most emotional story and they plug your heartstrings and then you got other guys and they've got spreadsheets and proof and case studies and and reports from the journal the american medical association and whatever and that's how they sell you know what i'm saying yeah there's all these different selling styles and you need to know your selling style um and how you best connect because that's 8022 you know the the ways that you effectively relate to and connect with other people there's actually a fairly small list of like how you do it and and i i created a a tool called the marketing dna test and it's normally 37 bucks but there's a free link to it through a back door in the book and and i make people take this test because it tells me how you sell and 66% of the people that take the test say it nailed them. Like, right. yes, this is exactly how I sell and persuade. And everybody has to sell and persuade, but people are so different. You know, a research scientist sells totally different than um, a timeshare salesman. Right. And if you put a research scientist in a timeshare selling job, you know, He's he's gonna he's gonna die of depression, right? Yeah. Right. And if you put a timeshare salesman in a you know writing government grants for scientific research, you know he's gonna die of depression, right? And so you, you need to know like how do you roll in the world? And once you figure it out, and this was this was one of the major things that was wrong with what I was doing when I was new is I didn't know how I sold. And I didn't, like, there was just all this stuff I just didn't know about me. And, like, you have to know about you, right? So you got to a point where you accepted the fact that I'm not a mathematician. You know, right. there's, there's other people, they're just like you, except they haven't accepted it. So they're sitting there, and they're basically trying to polish turds, and they're all depressed because it's not working. Right, like, right, right, right. Get the monkey off your back, man. <laughs> like, free yourself. Well, here's the thing, Perry. I accepted it long before people around me did. I, I listened to all these <laughs> lectures and these harangues and all these, well, maybe you need to ease off on the AP English because we need you to spend more time on geometry. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, I'm over geometry. I don't care. If I need to measure a triangle, I'll get a roller. When I need somebody to do my taxes, I'll hire an accountant. Uh, I ha- I've had the, the same accountant for 12 years. He's the best out there. Um, I don't need to understand how the spreadsheets and the QuickBooks work because that's what I pay him for. And as long as my returns look like they make sense, I'm happy. That's his well, gift. You know, I don't have that gift. You, you bring up a perfect point because one of the major things about 80-20 is that whatever you're bad at or hate to do, somebody else is good at and loves to do. Yes. 
the world is such a bizarre place. Like, I don't know why anybody wants to be an accountant. But guess what? I don't have to know. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter. If they like it, God bless them. Let them do it, right? And I'm going to hire them, and I'm going to hire the best accountant I can find, right? And yes. life is really wonderful when you start working that way. Right, right. And my accountant is passionate about accounting because that's what he wants to do. He enjoys it. He loves working with the numbers. He loves applying his understanding of the laws and the regulations and helping entrepreneurs get the best tax deal possible within the confines of the law. That's his passion. That's what wakes him up in the morning, and that's what puts him to bed at night. Me, I'm thinking, all right, let me get the guy the QuickBooks file and let him work his magic. Yeah. that's just not my thing. And so, yeah, um, you know, and there's a lot of the entrepreneurial culture that I don't, I don't think anybody explicitly tells people this, but it's more like implicitly everybody thinks that they have to do everything. Right. That they have to be the rugged individualist and, you know, I have to fix the computer and I have to, hey, you know what? If you're not good at fixing computers and you don't have any money to fix a computer, then then go barter. It's like, hey, I'm I'm really good at writing advertising copy. I'll, I'll fix your website. Can you fix my computer? Yeah. Like, there's there's always a way. But right. Don't don't spend your day doing things you're not good at. It just kills you. That's what I that's what I meant about myself and I made the remark that I'm a recovering perfectionist. If I run into a problem with something like I can't get the copy to work or we're putting together a membership site cuz that's the other side of what my business does and for some reason such and such plugin just will not cooperate or this theme is just not working and uh, and my designer is just stumped on it and then he bring me in, I would spend hours if not days just hammering away at this stuff getting absolutely nowhere. Well now I set a role which is if I can't figure it out within, and sometimes it's 15 minutes, sometimes it's 30 minutes, it just all depends, I go back to the original tech support of the original developer. If they can't answer it, then we say, okay, well, this one didn't work. Time to pick a new theme. Mm. Mm. Uh, that, I mean, and that's hard for me to do, but it's a role that I enforce for myself because otherwise I could get caught in a rabbit hole that could last a week. Well, right, and you know, and that's doing the $10 an hour work when you could be doing the 1000 Right. You know, you only you only need like a couple hours of thousand dollar an hour work every day and most of us can be pretty comfortable. Uh yeah, yeah. I mean I'm I'm on the path to achieving that now. Once I get there, once I find uh exactly how to do that, where a couple hours of my time are worth a thousand dollars an hour, heck I'm on easy street. That's right. Because, and, because you know, yeah, because I can spend a couple th- hours getting a thousand dollars an hour, and in a couple more hours finding my way to ten thousand dollars an hour, I'm good. Easy Street is more attainable than it probably seems, because the next rung rung up is not twenty more dollars an hour; it's ten times, you know, what 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 you're at. Right. And so it, uh, there's a there's a chart in in the in the ten thousand dollar an hour chapter of the book, and I I want to invite people to get a copy of this book. You can go to Amazon, buy it for seventeen bucks plus shipping, but you can also come to my website, and buy it for a penny plus shipping, which in the U.S. is seven bucks, or you know, outside the U.S. is fourteen, 
and it's at sell8020.com, and you, you can buy that book, and it'll change your life. I mean, even a dead broke uh, salesman who couldn't make Amway work could afford seven bucks. Uh, you could borrow it from your grandma or something. Right. Um, but, you know, g- get your hands on the book and, you know, master, just don't master the whole thing, master 20% of it. Well, there you, there you go. There's, there's applying the 80-20 role to even mastering your own teachings. Find the 20% that are going to get you 80% of the return. Every single chapter has a what's the top 20% of this chapter summary at the end. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, so again, you know, that's, uh, that is the, uh, the 8020, uh, sales and marketing book. And, that's you know, right. I've, I've just ordered a copy myself, uh, because I, uh, I got, I gotta really see this for myself. As I said, I've been following you for years and I understand a lot of the philosophies behind it. But just in the time that we've spent together here, um, I, uh, you've sold another book. So, uh, I know you can uh, now call it, uh, call it a day because you sold a book. That's right. Well, hey, it, it was really great to be yes. on your show. I'm honored to be here, and uh, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, and and keep uh, keep exploring the socioeconomics of Ghana, if that's you know, if that's the topic du jour, because there's something fascinating. There's something there's something that you're going to be able to do something with. Yes, and, and Perry Marshall, thank you so much. I know you spent a few extra minutes with us, and I know your time is extremely valuable, and I know this has been quite an education for all of us here. So thank you once again. Okay, take care. Great to be on the show. Absolutely. Wow, that was absolutely incredible. And I think what was really cool is how Perry was able to spend a few extra minutes with us, and i got to tell you that this has been quite an education for me. As many of you who listen to the Business Creators Radio Show know, not only am I the host, but I also sit in the audience with you, with my pen and notepad out, looking for that slight edge when it comes to finding nuggets of wisdom that will help me win at the game of business and marketing. There's a couple things that Perry shared with us that I really want to highlight just a little bit further that link back to some of the things that I've shared before through Help My Website Sell in the Business Creators Institute, one of which has to do with upsells and value adds when we offer services and solutions packages to our clients and customers. Several years ago, I wrote a blog article about this, and what I said then holds true today. There are so many cases where people will create service packages or they'll create solutions or they'll add products to their mix and they'll add something to that product, that service, or their solution because somebody said, well, you know, if you're doing this, you know, a lot of people in your market also want this other thing, so you're just leaving money on the table and you might as well not even be in business if you're just going to leave money on the table. You have to do this other thing. And what we heard Perry share with us through considering the role of 80-20 and considering really getting down to that 1%, uh, what we might call niche marketing, is how you can exponentially grow your business when you don't allow yourself to be distracted by these types of considerations. I have seen so many services, particularly in the areas of online marketing, where the offer will include various areas of support, various areas of done for you, done with you, and other types of solutions, and then they'll throw in, oh, and we'll build a website for you too. Well, a friend of mine who used to own a web development company ran into the situation about four years ago, and I still remember him telling me the story where he had somebody who he was 
aligned with in business. It was a uh, one somebody who he knew very well from having been in a mastermind with this person and having done some business with this person. And this other person had started a service where they did a number of done-for-you type things, and then he added, oh, we'll build your website for you too. Now, this other company had brought on three web developers to help fulfill this, and we'll build your website for you too. Now, a funny thing happened. Within the space of a week, all three of those web developers just disappeared. If I remember the story correctly, one of them just stopped answering emails. Another said, I quit. And in the third one, there was kind of a blow-up that kind of came out of the blue. And next thing you know, this other company was left holding the bag with about five of these done-for-you websites that needed done. And the best part is, in my estimation, the website wasn't really the most important thing. Now, what happened is this other company had to scramble to get all these websites done. Otherwise, they were going to lose their shirt. And, in fact, they did end up losing their shirt because they had to hire two other companies to complete all these websites on a rush basis. Had they stuck to their core competency, in my personal opinion, and had they listened to the words of Perry Marshall and the 80-20 rule and taking that down to the 1%, they never would have allowed themselves to get in that situation in the first place. So one of the things I'd like to have all of our listeners think about is just because there is the opportunity to take money off the table or not leave money on the table, rather, just because you have intelligence, you have people in your mastermind urging you that, oh, well, if you're offering this service, you have to do this other thing, too. Otherwise, you're just letting your own customers go somewhere else. Is that always a bad thing? I know I'm kind of a contrarian when I speak this way, and I've been called to task on this a number of times myself, but I have found that the more that I narrow down my niche, the more that I'm very specific and very very directly focused on what it is that we want to do with how my website selling the Business Creators Institute, the greater our revenues, the greater our profits, and the greater caliber of clients and customers that we are honored to have the opportunity to serve. So don't be wishy-washy. Don't be trying to be all-inclusive because, in my personal opinion, I don't think it's truly possible to be all-inclusive. I work with many different companies, myself in my own business, and I've seen many people with business models that may promise that they are the be-all and the end-all and the one-stop shop, and I've heard other lines like this. And I have found through careful investigation that not one of these companies actually truly is the be-all and end-all or the one-stop shop. I've just discovered this because I've asked questions like, well, do you also do this or can you also add this on? Do you have the ability to cover this range of services or this range of competency? And there are always gaps. And what I attribute that to is that human nature drives us toward the 80-20 rule, drives us toward finding that 1% and being in that niche and only serving that optimal area of the market and that optimal area of the world and delivering our brilliance to our audience. That's just one of the things that I have personally encountered, and that's something I want you to think about when you decide how broad or how deep you want to go with your own service and product offerings. Just because your market demands it, just because you may be able to cover that with the bandwidth that you, your business, you personally and your team have to offer, doesn't mean you have to. Could it potentially be more lucrative if you formed an alliance, if you formed a joint venture with somebody who does do that other thing, and you can cross-refer, maybe even work on projects together? To me, that sounds like more of a win-win situation. 
And another thing that sort of came up in our interview with Perry that I wasn't really expecting, it wasn't originally in the show notes, but it just really struck a chord what he was saying about your niche and 80-20 and coming down to that 1%. That was very much a true story. What I experienced is I was in secondary school. I had advanced placement credits in history and English. I had so many advanced placement credits that when I arrived at Penn State my freshman year, I already had entire semesters worth of credits before I even came to college. As far as mathematics, I never really was any good at it. That's just not my skill. I was not destined to be an accountant. I was not destined to be a scientist. I was not destined to be a chemist or uh, or any sort of statistical analyst. That just is not what I was designed to do. It's not where my brilliance meets my passion. I was off getting off these advanced placement credits. I was in every advanced course that was available. I was classified as gifted. My IQ range put me in the gifted range according to the tests that I took at the time. But yet I could not seem to pass a mathematics class to save my life. Uh, in secondary school, I got as far as a course called trigonometry and college algebra. Then when I went to college, uh, because there was a requirement at the general education level in college that I have a certain level of mathematical credits, I was given a test to assess where I was. And the test recommended I go back and take remedial math. That's how bad I was. This is not some pla- that's just not something where my brilliance meets my passion. So guess what two courses I took in college? Trigonometry and college algebra. And I struggled through it. I was spending way too much time with the agony of trying to understand something that maybe I just wasn't programmed for, maybe just wasn't where my brilliance meets my passion. I couldn't wrap my head around it to the expense of my ability to be brilliant in other areas that are the intersection of my brilliance and my passion. While I was struggling to figure out the definition of an isosceles triangle and how to measure X and Y and all these other things that I still don't understand to this day, I was spending so much time on this that I was doing very poorly in a class on English literature, which is something that I do understand and something that I do have an interest and a flair for. But the way that the instructor taught that English literature class required me some, required me to do some work in terms of being able to take the test so that I could pass. Now, because I put my energy in the wrong place, I spent it trying to get through this mathematics course rather than trying to focus on where my brilliance meets my passion. This is something that I don't really regret it because if you look back with regrets, that's just wasted spirit. But at the same time, it leads you to think about making more informed decisions in the future. So fast forward about three years when I was a senior in college, and I had one general education class left. By this time, I was already into courses that surrounded my poli-sci major with my minors in history and Middle East studies. So that was most of my lineup of courses. But there was one more science class I needed to fulfill that part of the general education requirement. So I took a class on... Uh, I took a class on, uh, I believe it was geology. So we were studying things like how the rain is created, how erosion happens, and things like that. And when I was doing my calculations for finals week to figure out how much I had to study and how much I could party, I figured out that as long as I got at least a 54% 
on my geology final, I would walk out of that class with a solid B, which would give me enough support from that geology class that I could have the overall grade point average for the semester that I was looking for. So I shared with somebody my plan, and they said, but of course you're going to study for that geology course, and you're going to get an A in it, right? I said, no, it's not my major. It's not really something that's going to matter to me in the grand scheme of life. It's great that I know how the rain forms and how erosion happens. This is all well and good, and it might help me uh, in some conversation someday, but this is not my major. This is not where I really need to spend my time. I really need to spend my time on a political science classes, make sure I max out there, so I have a very high major GPA. So I went to the final for my geology class. I filled out what I thought was about 60% of it. I think I did one of the three essay questions, and I did my level best to answer the multiple choices. And I only stayed there until I felt that I had done enough work to get maybe a 65%. I left myself a little bit of an error margin, just in case. Well, it turns out I got a B-plus in, in the course overall, which means I must have done better on the final than I thought, or maybe there was a curve I wasn't aware of. But... At this point, I had a better sense of using what I now understand to be the 80-20 rule and niching down to the 1%, as Perry Marshall shared with us. The geology class, in the grand scheme of things, wasn't really all that important to my educational plan or my life plan. So I figured out how much I needed to do there, because that's really the 20%. So I don't want to spend 80% of my energy on the 20%. So no, I'm not going to study hard and try and max out so I get an A in that course because it doesn't really matter. What matters is getting the A grades in the poli-sci classes. So that's where I put my energy, my effort, and my focus. I put the 80% where it belongs to get the 80% result. And these are just some of the things I want you to think about as you make decisions as you go through life and you go through business on where you're going to allocate your energy, where you're going to allocate your time, and where you're going to allocate your effort so that you find that you are on the right side of the 80-20 role where your brilliance and your passion intersect. So I just wanted to share these thoughts with you, and we are very now much near the top of the hour, so I'd like to close out here. Once again, uh, this is the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey, and I'm your host. What I'd like you to do is just take a moment for Perry Marshall and go to www.perrymarshall.com forward slash 8020. That's perrymarshall.com forward slash 8020, where you can learn more about the 8020 sales and marketing book that we covered in our interview today. Uh, remember, all of our guest experts have profiles on the Business Creators Radio Show, so you can find Perry's profile, and the link will be there as well. So, once again, thank you very much for tuning in. This is the Business Creators Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on iTunes. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.